Well, we've been going through a uh, series uh, in Colossians. We've been going through the book of Colossians, as you know, and what I thought uh, was going to be a four-part series has turned out to be a ten-part series. But we are at number ten. So this morning, Lord willing, we are going to conclude this series, um, which is exciting, I think, anyway. Um, So let's jump in. I've got a lot to cover to finish it off, and uh, it's good stuff, as all of it has been. So I think we'll we'll jump in a little bit. Are you guys warm? Maybe just a little vent or air for a little while there, Tim. Thank you. I don't want any sleepers in here on my part 10 of this message. <laughs> all right. Well, over the past few weeks... Uh, Paul has been emphasizing to us, uh, if you recall, the, um, the character that we should have as those who have been raised to new life in Christ, and especially in how we relate to one another. He seems to really um, hone in on some of that, and in these final passages that we're going to cover today... Paul continues this emphasis of um, relating to one another, and he gets very specific on relationships and and starts to talk about relations in the family especially. So we're going to look at some of that, um, and let's just jump right in. We're uh, we're starting at verse 18, and I want to just start with verses 18 through 22. This is Colossians in chapter 3. And we'll be finishing off chapter 3, moving into chapter 4 just briefly. And this is what Paul writes. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Well, we'll pause there, and we're going to dig in a little bit. That's good stuff. Um, We're just going to look at this uh, first statement here, wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And Kevin's going to come up and uh, expound on this statement. (laughs) Kevin. (laughs) I was going to see if he went for it. He's back there behind the doors waving at me. If If he could go for it, I would sit down. Okay, all right. Well, needless to say... Um, this is, let me get it back on the screen here. Uh, Elizabeth, would you, would you find the, there we go. Thank you. Sorry. It went somewhere else. Okay. Wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Needless to say, this is not a popular topic, uh, not a popular teaching in our culture today. And for the most part, You're only going to hear this teaching in church. Um, 
And even in church, as we know, this can be met with great disdain and uh, resistance. But just like many um, other moral issues and topics, relational topics of our day, God's people are not to base their way of life on the culture around us, nor cultures that we uh, have come from, uh, nor the patterns of this world, but on God's way and his instructions that are found in his word. So when it comes to this statement, Paul does not say, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in your culture. Although our culture wants us to read it that way, since it could then be easily dismissed because this is not relevant in our culture today. But thankfully, Paul qualifies this statement by lifting it to a standard above that of our various cultures. He does this by using these very important words, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I decided to dig in a little bit on on this. I wanted to see what uh, is fitting, like what is the Greek of that translation there. So if you look at the Greek word that's translated, is fitting, uh, it's this word here, aneko, I think is how you pronounce it. This is not actually the the long E and O's. That's not what that is. It's it's not the phonetic spelling, just so you think I'm... I don't know how to pronounce these Greek words. It's all Greek to me. Just know that. <laughs> so this is the Greek word that we translate is fitting, and this is translated in, in various ways, but all similar in what it's saying here. Now, this comes from two root words. The first one there, ana, into the midst, or in the midst, or among. That's what it means, literally, into the midst. And then heiko, which is to, to have come, have arrived, or be present. So the two, these two root words come together to produce this aneko. And aneko, in this literal sense, means to come up to or arrive into the midst of someone. And that's what we are translating here as is fitting in the Lord. So you can see this in verse 18 as basically Paul is referring to a Christian wife submitting to her husband because of her intimate place in the Lord as his follower, as his followers. I think this is helpful because wives, perhaps it's helpful to remember that submitting to your husband is actually not your husband's idea. And you can let him off the hook. It was not his idea. It's actually God's idea. And this is still God's way for those of you who are in him. So the husband and wife relationship that God designed is actually not subject to how our culture says it should be. We have been called to a higher standard, God's standard. Still with me, ladies? Okay, all right, let's, 
let's move on. We don't want to leave the husbands out. So husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And although we need to remember that Paul did not state these uh, two things as being dependent on one another. And so, um, husbands, this, this would make it very much, much easier for your wives, uh, husbands, to submit if we are doing this well. But again, husbands and wives, these are not dependent upon one another. These are not prerequisites before, the, uh, before you are to carry out what God has instructed you to do. So we are to, uh, wives, submit to your husbands regardless of whether or not he is loving you well or speaking to you in a tender way. And for husbands, uh, you are to love your wife regardless of whether she is submitting to you well or respecting you well. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter addresses husbands and wives as well, and he says the following. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When, you see, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on the gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, wives, uh, can I challenge you a little bit on this, as, as if I haven't already? Can I just uh, read that first statement that Peter writes? Uh, the, he's writing this, remember, to wives who are in Christ. And he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, we're talking about the logos, the word of God, they may be won without a word by the conduct of, your, of their wives when they see respectful and pure conduct. Now, that's quite, a, um, that's quite a high standard there. But it is actually the, uh, the standard to which God is calling those uh, wives who are in Christ. And husbands, let me challenge you a bit. And I want to repeat what uh, Peter writes in verse 7. And I'm going to read this in the NLT because I think it connects better. He says, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together, 
She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And I think it's really important, men, that we see that last um, part there, that last statement there, treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. I am often um, reminded of this, usually after I have already flubbed up with that and have treated my wife uh, not in an honorable way or harshly or whatever it may have. I've said a harsh word or whatever, and, and God reminds me of this, and so then I have to eat humble pie and go to her and apologize, and that's the right thing to do because I don't want my prayers to be hindered. And men, I, uh, husbands, I would think that you would like for your prayers to not be hindered as well. So for those of you who are husbands, we should really pay attention um, to this and allow it to, to really... Uh, sink in and take root in us. So these are very, very challenging things. Paul also in Ephesians 5 addresses husbands and wives and compares their relationship to that of Christ and the church. He says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so should wives submit to their husbands in everything. And he goes on to explain that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He concludes this by uh, saying in Ephesians 5.33, says, let, he says, let each one of you, talking to husbands, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's interesting how um, you would think, you know, he's going to say, let each of you husbands love your wives, and then you would think he's going to say, and let let you wives, each of you love your husbands, but actually he does not say that. He says, respect your husband. And these are uh, very important things. If you've been married for any uh, amount of time, you know that actually these are very important for each one of us. For the wife, it is very important that she uh, feels loved and cared for and honored um, by their husbands. And husbands, um, you know what it feels like to be disrespected and how, um, how, how good it feels and how um, it impacts you to, feel, uh, to be respected by your wives. So I think, I think Paul really nails it here with this. And it would be great for us to really uh, let those words sink in. <clears throat> when uh, Earlier when Paul was talking about uh, two wives, he talks about basically submit to your wives as is fitting in the Lord, as in do this because of your position in Christ. And I think this would be helpful for wives to to remember that this is actually God's calling on you as wives is to because you are in Christ, meaning you are actually have you are in Him, you are you've come up to Him and in His presence 
You are a follower of him. So you are in that intimate place. You're not just any old wife. You are in him. That he actually calls you to, to follow these uh, instructions, to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And so I think it would be helpful to remember that when you do this towards your husband, you're doing this because of Christ. You're doing this to be his follower. Maybe that would be helpful to some of you rather than thinking you're doing this for your husband. Because remember, this is not your husband's idea. This is God's idea. So I I think it would be helpful to remember that um, this is what God is asking of every Christian wife who is in him. This This is how it is fitting to be in him as a Christian wife is to submit to your husband. So that's a that's a, that's a high calling, but it's, it's our calling, as uh, your calling as Christian wives. And for husbands, uh, if, you, if you read later when you're home, we didn't read it, but um, I just paraphrased it basically of Ephesians 5, and he talks about husbands being to your wives as Christ is to the church, and that Christ laid his life down for the church, and that is how we are to love our wives. We are to lay our lives down for them. Now, that doesn't mean, and, and I'm, I'm afraid that in our culture today, um, it, it's really sad how God's way has turned topsy-turvy. It is upside down in this um, culture. Anyone who watches anything of the world, social media, TV shows, movies, whatever, you see this very strongly and blatantly, how they have turned this upside down. The men are goofballs. The men are basically worthless, are not able to do anything. It is all the wife who basically runs everything. Now, there's, a, there's good reasons for that. Women, and especially wives, and especially mothers, are amazing. And what they are able to do, God can enable them to do, but that is not God's way. And the world has, has they are all in in turning that upside down. So I would, I would challenge you Christian husbands and wives to not allow yourselves to conform to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your minds by the word and God's standard. Now, this, is a, this, is, this takes both of you doing this. It's not just uh, the, the wives submitting to the husbands and the husbands loving the wives. It's not just the wives submitting. Husbands actually need to take their place as head in your marriage, as Christ says that you are. God says that as Christ is head of the church, so the husband is head of the wife. And so I see this often. Uh, it's become really an epidemic in our culture and most Western cultures and, and many other cultures, the passivity of men. And uh, I think it's a stain on us that men of God have become the passive men that we are. Now, listen, men, don't misunderstand 
This is not talking about demanding the respect that you deserve and, and bullying your wife around. Nothing could be further from the truth. That is not what this is talking about. But this is talking about taking your place as the one to whom God is looking and holding accountable for your family. He is looking to you. And we must take that responsibility and be faithful to what he's calling us to do and step into that role. Step into that role of leading. Step into that role of leading in, in many ways, not just spiritually, but especially spiritually. And the only way that you're able to do that is if you are communing with God you, you are not going to be able to step into that role if you do not have that intimate relationship with God. If you've not been in his presence, you're going to goof this up. You're going you're gonna to make it very difficult for your wife to do what she's been called to do, which is to submit and to respect you, and for you to do what you're called to do and do it well and do it rightly. So, men, we have to be with God and Jesus, who is our example, we have to be spending time with him, knowing who he is, being in his word so that we understand God's character as the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, his character as the head of the church. We have to study that and put it into practice. Then as we are taking our responsibility and carrying that out as the 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 head, and as the, the leaders of our families, it is much easier for wives to be able to submit to that. But again, this is, um, this is a team effort. And so there are wives that make this very, very difficult. And the culture that we live in has promoted this. They are all for women taking uh, the men's place and, and role. Now, rem remember, we're talking about God's standard. Those who could care less about God, this means nothing to them, and that's fine. That's on them. We have been called to God's standard. And so, women, wives, we need to make sure, you need to make sure that that you're not going along with the patterns of the world because it's very easy to follow along and do as the world is doing in how you treat your husband and, and how you allow your, um, your children to treat your husband. Not that, you're, not that you're the disciplinarian all the time, but your children will look to you and glean from you how you are treating your husband. And how you treat your husband is usually going to be how they attempt to treat their father. And so it's very important that this is a team effort, that we are both doing our parts in this, and we are both taking our responsibilities um, and fulfilling them faithfully. Is that hard stuff? Is that, um, that almost sounds just, does it sound archaic and um, old-fashioned? Well, it is. God is an old God. He's been around a long time. This is God's way. 
and it w- we would do really well um, to really understand it and pursue it with faithfulness. All right, I better move along. I don't want to stay there too long. <clears throat> All right, let's go on to children. The next verse says here, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, some of you are a little disappointed that your children are not in here right now. <clears throat> now, you could try after the service, and you get in the car, buckle their seatbelts, and turn on the live stream recording and see how that goes for you. But um, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure they can get this another way. But this is an important teaching as well. And just to make sure this is still applicable to all of us, how many here were once a child? Any, anyone? There's a few of you. Okay. All right. Maybe we're going to make this apply to a, a few more. How many of you sometimes feel like you're still a child? Anyone? There's a few of you. All right. It's good. And just to make sure we get everybody, so how, how many of you sometimes feel like you married a child? There's a few hands. Okay, wow. The wise ones kept their hands down. All right. So here's what Paul wrote uh, to the Ephesians and addressed this with a little more um, that we're going we're gonna to expound with this. He said, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And he says here, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. That was the original promise that God said would come to those who honor their father and their mother. So, when we are adults, um, obeying your parents in the Lord, that changes, obviously, that, that shifts, and as it should uh, for the parents as well. But this, Paul points out, is, does not change, and that is to honor your father and your mother. And this is one of the first commandments from way back, and God attaches a promise to it that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So regardless of how your father and your mother were in life and how they were in raising you, regardless of the failures, the mistakes, the terrible things they may have done, regardless of that, it does not nullify what God is saying here for us to honor our fathers and our mothers. Now that's going to be difficult for some of you, but... This is what God has, has told us to do, and there's a promise that goes along with it. So we can, if we put our, if we're intentional about it, we can find ways to honor them. It doesn't mean that you are condoning something that they've done, or um, it doesn't mean that you are giving your approval on something that they've done. All of that is beside the point. God says to honor them. So there are ways that we can honor them and that we should honor them because I want that promise. So I'm going to honor my mother and father the best that I can. Um, And perhaps it's a little selfish, but God has no problem with putting rewards out there 
for living in his way. His way is all about rewards. It is. It's all throughout Scripture. And he says there is a reward when you do this. And so living in God's way does bring blessings, and and this is one of them, when you honor your father and your mother. Well, he goes on to say, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, it says fathers. I think this can, will apply to mothers as well, not to provoke your children. Um, I think fathers was addressed here. They probably um, did most of the disciplining and uh, the teaching uh, in this time, but both parents should pay attention to this when uh, he says not to provoke them. So to provoke is to deliberately do things that you know are going to stir up strong emotion in your child. And so this usually uh, is going to stir up anger in a person. So when Paul says here, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, he's, he's telling you this because who wants to discourage your, ch- your child? And, and if that is the, the intent of your heart, that's malice. He addresses that earlier. That needs to be taken off. You need to, that needs to die. We, we should be wanting to do all that we can to encourage our children. There's enough discouragement in this world. Would you agree? There's enough discouragement in this world. We don't need to be adding any to it. We need to be doing all that we can to encourage our children. So let's not provoke them, parents. Let's not provoke them lest they become discouraged. Now, I think um, there's going to be some parents who have maybe a tendency or leaning towards this more so than others. And you know who you are. (laughs) But let's change. Let's take that off. Let's get rid of that and instead put on uh, encouragement uh, towards your child so they have the best shot that they can um, at dealing with the discouragement of this world. Next verse here is bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. <clears throat> now I think obviously things have changed from the time they uh, wrote this, at least in our cultures. And I think um, possibly a way that we could apply this verse in our day and culture is to replace a bond servant with employee and master with employer. Now, this is not going to be a perfect parallel, so I'm not, I'm not saying that that's now the new scripture. But I'm saying I think you can make lots of applications here if you read it that way. So you could read it like this. Employees obey in everything those who are your earthly employers, not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, obviously, our obedience to our employer should never override our obedience to God. And if we ever are told to do something that is contrary to God's way, then we should not obey those orders. 
I think you guys understand that. But I think we can learn from this uh, when, we, when we read it that way. All of you, most of you, are, um, are employees, and you have employers that you have submitted to to work for them, to be under their uh, authority in the workplace. And this would be helpful for us to listen to Paul's words and to um, do what he is saying here, that we obey in everything those who are earthly masters or employers, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And what he says here, um, well, we get, we'll get to that in, in just a few minutes. Um, Let's move on to the, to the next couple of verses. This is 23 through 25. I'll just read them all first. It says, whatever you do, this is Paul saying to the Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So if we look at this first part here, uh, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, Paul is addressing here one of my biggest pet peeves in life. And not to mention, this is, I think, an unsightly blemish on many professing Christians today. And it is this, people who identify themselves as Christian, but put forth no care or concern towards the things they do. Especially, you'll see this in the workplace. But it can be any task. Now, it's one thing for unbelievers to do this, But when God's people do this, we should be ashamed of ourselves. It should be just the opposite with us. God's people should be the ones who always do everything with excellence. And the reason is just what Paul says here, because we are doing it as for the Lord and not for men. And I think this is a principle that we should, we should really get ingrained in us, and we should be teaching this to our children, those of you who are parents. Because this really should, uh, this should be our way of life. And everything that we do, we should be doing it with excellence as unto the Lord. And we are God's representatives and we, we present him and his son, Jesus Christ, everywhere we go in, what, in, in whatever we do. It is not limited to just Sundays that we are his representatives. Every single task we carry out should be handled as if we are doing it for the Lord. Because ultimately we are. We are serving him with our lives. So we should be faithful in every task, because it matters to him. It doesn't mean that we have to be the most talented, but it does mean that we give it our whole heart with the utmost care in order to do it faithfully and with excellence. 
Those qualities should be reflected in all that we do. Now, unfortunately, during this pandemic, this has gotten even worse. It drives me crazy to go somewhere, a restaurant, a business, of some, some kind of service-oriented thing, because service has gone down the drain. But listen, this should not be the case for God's people. We should not be allowing this to be a reflection of us ever in anything that we do, regardless of pandemics, quarantines, any of that. This just should not be who we are. And you see it all the time. This lackluster, doesn't care, doesn't care if you're a customer and getting terrible service, doesn't care if this is going to break on you, doesn't care, doesn't care. This is not how we should be. Because all that we do is to be as unto the Lord. Every task that we, uh, that we do in life can be treated and should be treated as if we are doing it unto him because we are. And, and God wants us to be faithful in even the little things. And to those who are faithful in even the little things, he will give greater things. And remember that what we do here on this earth in this earthly life now will determine what you will be doing in our new earth. We are proving ourselves to him now if we are going to be faithful in all that we do. So that when we are in the new world, new earth, and that new uh, kingdom that God is going to bring about, all that we have done here and how we are faithful is going to help determine where we, our place is going to be there. It's interesting to think about that that way. But it's helpful. It's helpful to me because I don't want to be um, unfaithful in what I do here. Even if it may seem like it has nothing to do with, with the Lord, it does. Because you are his representative. You belong to him. You have laid your life down for him. So your life belongs to him. So all that you do is a reflection of him. And so I feel like this is... Um, this is great, a great reminder that Paul writes here for us to, to remember that in all that we do, we should be doing it with excellence as unto the Lord. And then lastly, just, he closed here with, uh, here with uh, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. I mean, he just makes this quick 180 like, okay, here's... Here's how it should be. We should be doing things as unto the Lord. We should be doing things, doing things rightly, faithfully. But for the wrongdoer, the one who is doing wrong, not wrong as in a mistake, but wrong as in you know that you should be faithful in this and be doing this with, with excellence and care, but you're not. You're choosing to, to do it in a, just a non-caring way. You're choosing to do wrong. You're choosing to do something that you know is not right. And Paul is saying that the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. I think when he says this as he's writing to believers, when he says there is no partiality, we need to remember that he's talking to us. He's talking to believers. There's no partiality. And I think we can take that as just because you are a Christian and you belong to the Lord doesn't mean that you are void or um, uh, that you get a pass 
on consequences that he states in his word. So I think these are one of, this is one of those things where Paul's talking about to everyone, the wrongdoer. There's no partiality saying that you're this or, or, or you're, you know, you, well, well, I'm this, so that doesn't apply to me. There's no partiality. So we need to pay attention that when he says the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. We we should we should pay attention to that. But that's not that's not who we are. We shouldn't be. We should be wanting to do everything that that we put our hands to with excellence and with care and concern, doing it to the best of our abilities, as if we are doing it unto the Lord because we are. And uh, moving on to chapter four, I'm just gonna we're gonna we're gonna end with this one um, no a few verses sorry, uh, but into chapter four, Paul says here, masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now we we already uh, looked at this earlier in that verse where he uh, refers to bond servants. So as we mentioned, that this could be applied to to you who are employers. Uh, many of you are employers, and this is how you are to treat your employees, justly and fairly. And Paul would remind you that you should do this knowing that you also have a boss over you in heaven who will treat you justly and fairly. So your master, your boss, your employer is in heaven. That is God. And we expect him to treat us justly and, and fairly. So that is how we should be treating our employees as well. Looking at verse, verses 2 through 4, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So in this passage, I just want to focus on just that one statement. That is, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. <clears throat> I think this is interesting. It's an interesting statement. I, I pondered this statement for a while. Paul says to continue steadfastly or firmly in prayer, which we can easily grasp that part of it. But then he says to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. What might he mean in, in saying be watchful in it? So when exhorting someone to be watchful, uh, it certainly brings to our mind being watchful for um, false teachers, false doctrine, uh, being watchful for sin or any such uh, attacks against God's people or the church. And we are to be uh, watchful in that way and to stand guard. All of the uh, scripture refers to them as wolves, refers to Satan as a lion, all of these predators looking to devour the sheep. We should be watchful. But Consider also that in being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I think Paul could be talking about being watchful of God's provisions 
and his answers to our prayers. So that would certainly make sense as to why our watchfulness would be accompanied by thanksgiving. And so I would encourage us to do just as Paul is saying here, and I say this to all of us who pray, let's continue steadfastly in our prayers and to be watchful of what God is going to do. I have no doubt that what we will see will be worthy of thanksgiving. So in our praying, as we pray, and we should continue to do so, let's be watchful in it and be thankful for what God is going to do. In verses 5 and 6, Paul says here, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And Paul expects, obviously, uh, for, for believers to have interactions with unbelievers. And here he instructs us to walk in wisdom when we interact with them and to make the best use of the time that we have with them. And we should be looking for these opportunities. He also says that our speech should always be um, gracious and seasoned with salt. Now, to be gracious means to extend the same grace that God has extended towards us. Mercy, kindness, love. And we are to do the same towards non-believers during our time with them. And our speech should be seasoned with salt, meaning it has been purified and made usable by God. And so we can know how we should answer each person. So it doesn't mean, as you know from our teaching earlier in this, in this series, that it doesn't mean that you don't say what is needed for this person. And every person is going to be different. So we should be uh, in a place of having purified our speech, having been, been walking with God so that we will know and be led how to answer to this person, how to um, speak or respond to this person. And that's going to differ. Some people need to hear about the, the whole reason Jesus Christ had to be crucified. It is because of our sins. And it is, it is so that we can be forgiven of our sins and cleansed from them. And so God has, has, without you having earned it at all, God has given a pure, holy, righteous sacrifice to, to die in our place. And so now he, is, he was wanting us to respond. So sometimes that is the message that we have to do. And what is response? In that way, it's repentance. It's turning from your sinful life. It's turning to God. It doesn't mean that you clean yourself up first and get all that straight first and then turn to God. No, no. It means that you're done with this, but you know you can't do it on your own and you're turning to God and you're asking for his help. So sometimes it's going to be talking to someone about sin and repentance Sometimes it's going to be talking to someone about God's grace and his mercy and his love 
Sometimes it's going to be just helping them fix their car and talking with them and, and having this, your speech seasoned with salt so that everything that you're saying is, has, been, has been seasoned, it's been purified, it's effective. But this is, this is how Paul is saying that we should um, be towards those unbelievers we are coming in contact with. So if we want God to use us to bring the lost into his kingdom, then we need to do just as Paul is saying here. And by doing so, we will, f- we will be fit and ready to be a harvesting tool for God. All right, I am going to finish this off simply by reading the last part um, at the end of Colossians. This is where Paul is signing off, saying his last greetings. And we're just going to read straight through together. Uh, I'm not really going to expound on it. And that will be the, the close here. He says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. <clears throat> he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision, meaning Jewish brothers, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who we know, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. Talking about Epaphras, remember the one who brought the gospel message to those in Colossae and is now reporting uh, their well-being and how they're doing to Paul. He says about him, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, thank you for an incredible letter that Paul has written. First to the believers in Colossae, but now also to us. May we take and apply everything that you have shown us and that we have learned of your truth to our lives as your people. May it May it find good soil in which to take root, and may it bring forth growth 
and fruit in our lives. God, anything in this series that is not of you, may it just fall to the wayside. May we remember it no more. But God, anything of your truth, God, may it sink deep into our hearts. And may it it compel us to action of the things we should put off and the things we should put on. And God, how we should treat one another. God, may it keep us firm on the foundation of your son, Jesus Christ, and him as preeminent above all other gods, above all others, period. May we be able to keep that as our north star, solid in our faith, knowing after whom we are following. It is your son, Jesus Christ, who walks on that narrow path. It's a difficult one, but it leads to the gateway to life. God, may we follow him faithfully. May your Holy Spirit, the promised gift, be with us and in us, working through us, giving us not only the desire to follow you, the passion to do your work, but the strength and the power to do it effectively. God, we thank you for your truth. May we all rise up to it. May we all rise up to be fitting with you as we should be. We love you, Father. We thank you for this encouraging, encouraging word in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.